So we're in this series called Things You Should Know About God, and the first thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago was that you can be God's friend. He wants that for us, and because of Jesus, he made a way for us to be his friend, which is remarkable and kind of really, really cool. Last week, we talked about the fact that we can be honest with him. Because he's our friend, we can be honest with him, and this week, we're going to talk about the fact that we can make God happy. And so we're really going to talk, kind of talk about that. This is March Madness. We love March Madness. As a Kentucky fan, we're kind of sad this year because we didn't make the tournament. But we, um, I, I, man, one of the greatest joys of my life is family. I just love my family and my, all my girls fill out a bracket. I mean, how many of y'all did brackets this year? Oh, this is sad. Oh, Andrew, who do you have winning it? Really? That's, a, that's really going out on a limb. Uh, way to go. Good, Andrew. That's nice. Um, so my daughter Elise, who is 14, we all fill out brackets. She, she texted me this. Uh, I made my friend Avery do a bracket, and I told her the highest seeds are the best ones, and now she has all 16 seeds as the final four, uh, which is exactly backwards if you know anything about this. Um, so one of the things that made me most happy about the brackets this year was my 27-year-old daughter, who's our oldest child, she texted me and said, Daddy, I've set up a bracket for us, because that's what we do. And... Um, and she said, I'm going to invite Mana, who is my mother, who's 87, and she filled out a bracket. And by the way, uh, I'm leading our family bracket. I'm killing those women. Uh, and, uh, but my mother's second. Uh, she's, really, she's really, really good because in 87 years, she's figured some stuff out. Let me read this story to you, uh, speaking of older ladies. And uh, uh, this just kind of makes me giggle. Uh, this was forwarded to a teacher at a junior high school. Evidently, this, high, this junior high had gone to a, a, a kind of an old folks' home and did a program for him and had given away a prize. And so this is what the prize winner writes. Her name is Agnes, by the way. Agnes writes, Dear uh, Keen Junior High, God bless you for the beautiful radio I won at your recent senior citizen luncheon. I'm 84 years old and live here at Springer Home for the Aged. All of my family has passed away. And I'm all alone now, and it's nice to know that someone is thinking of me. God bless you for your kindness to an old forgotten lady. It's very sweet. My roommate is 95 and has always had her own radio, but before I received one, she would never let me listen to hers, even when she was napping. The other day, her radio fell off the nightstand and broke into a lot of pieces. It was awful, and she was in tears. Her distress over the broken radio touched me, and I knew this was God's way of answering my prayer. Upon winning my radio, she asked if she could listen to it, and I told her to stick it in her ear. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity, Agnes Baker. So, um, life is really hard. I don't know if you've noticed that about life, but you can get into difficulty, and a lot of us have problems, and it can be something like you lose a loved one, or you have a sickness, or... There's conflict at work or conflict in a relationship. There are lots of ways we have difficulty in life. And yet, this scripture is one of my favorite go-tos in Nehemiah. It says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so, I think that if life is going to be hard, when you come to church, we're going to do our very best to help you have a, an uplifting experience, an opportunity where maybe we can laugh a little bit, but also talk about some deeper things of God. And one of the things I find incredibly uh, interesting is Scripture talks about this notion of being able to put a smile on God's face. We can make God happy. 
Now, there are folks who are going to say, well, who, I don't care about that. I mean, God's not been good to me, and there are folks that certainly have reason, perhaps, to say that. Some people have sort of a negative idea of who God is. Maybe they think of God as sort of this scouring old guy with a big, long, white beard and light hair, and he's waiting for you to do something wrong, and then he's waiting for you, once you do something wrong, to zap you. That's some people's idea of who God is. For others, he is this unpleasable parent. And perhaps that's because you had an unpleasable parent growing up and your dad was never satisfied and now you're thinking, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm never going to please God and so why should I even try? For others, it's more he's aloof and distant. And he's kind of country club and I'm not. It's kind of how He's the one that, you know... Uh, he's just too far beyond me and I can't really have a relationship and so I'm not really going to even try to have a relationship with him. For others, it's what has he done for me lately? You know, what do I have to be thankful for? Why would I even want to make him smile? Okay, but for me, it's different than that. Lamentations 3 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends, His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness, His mercies begin afresh every morning. I love that verse. Because for me, my relationship and my experience with God has been very positive. I grew up in a home where I had a good dad who modeled, you know, he wasn't perfect, my goodness, he's, you know, none of us are perfect, but he, he was good to us and he cared about us, and so it's easier for me to believe in a God or to have an understanding of God as one who cares about me and understands me and cares for me and wants the best for me. So... I began to look at life a little differently a while back. How can I be more thankful? And what can I be thankful for? And I've told you all this a few times, but at the end of every day, right before I go to bed, I try to think of five things that happened that day that, for which I'm very, very thankful. Um, this year, one of those was Duke didn't make it into the tournament. Uh, very, very thankful for that. You know, North Carolina got beat first round. Wes, very thankful. Uh, so uh, there are things we can be thankful for. But, but even... I mean, you can make it anything. I'm thankful for my car because my car actually works. I've had cars that didn't work very well. And when I look in my garage, there are two cars there. I'm thankful at one time I had all my girls home. I had five cars. I was trying to keep maintain five cars. I'm glad I'm down to two, you know. I'm thankful that when I turn the ignition, most of the time they start that the tires on there are pretty good, that they get relatively good gas mileage, which is great now that gas prices are going up. I'm glad that I don't have to buy gas in Hong Kong, which when I checked last was $9.17 a gallon. I'm thankful for some things. You know, there's a lot of stuff to be thankful for. and it's, That's a silly illustration, but think about things like your family. I'm thankful for them and for faith and for our church and for health. I mean, there's a lot of things to be thankful for. Yeah, I can go through life, and you can go through life, and we can be negative about God, or we can look at these verses and say, you know, His mercy is new every morning. There, there's new blessings every day that we have. I'm, I don't know, pastors probably should be better than this. I, I sometimes just forget to be thankful for my meal. I'm trying to do better than that because really every bite is something that God has given us and you know there are people that don't have these things. There's a reason people are trying to get into this country because we have more than most. I, I went to Africa a few years ago and, and they, 
where I was in Tanzania, they lived in mud huts with mud floors and they ate corn because that was the thing they could eat, get their hands on the most. I, I went to a conference and we had rice and they poured a little broth on it that had goat meat. And I mean, I mean you're talking about <laughs> two or three little pieces of goat meat and a mound of rice because that made sense to them. That's what they had. So for us to just ignore all the blessings, kind of, it's a little bit rude, honestly. And, and so what, I, what I've discovered is I can make God happy. We, we talked about David last week, and David prayed this prayer, smile on me, he's praying to God, smile on me, smile on me, uh, your servant, teach me the right ways to live. Because if I do the right things, that causes God to smile. And so we're going to talk about, we're not going to, this isn't exhaustive, I'm just going to give you three things. And these are three things that are relatively simple to do. You can do these three things, and these will please God, and it will put a smile on his face. First one is, you claim him. You act like uh, he, he's yours, and you're his, you're his, and I've got four daughters, and I'm very happy that I don't ever remember in my life my daughters not being willing to say, hey, that's my dad. Now, sometimes they didn't love it when I was yelling at the referees, and I've, I've kind of cut all that stuff out, but, but back in the day, I was a little crazier, but... They always claimed me. I, I'm always always proud when they would introduce me to their friends. I, I like that a lot. And like any father, our heavenly Father is pleased when we claim Him. This is a picture of Brett Butler. He's a baseball player from the '90s, early 2000s. He was really, really good. He played for the San Francisco Giants. Was an All Star for them. But then free agency came up, and he had an opportunity to take the best offer. And the best offer came from the Los Angeles Dodgers, the cross-state rivals. Now, Butler was wildly popular in San Francisco. People loved him. He was really good. And so the first time that Butler came back to San Francisco to play, they introduced him on the loudspeaker as, you know, the I think he was the center fielder or the uh, short side. I can't remember what position he played. But uh, they introduced him in San Francisco as a Dodger, and he got this uproarious applause. Everybody was cheering for Brett Butler. And Butler did something very curious. He, he summoned his new coach, Tommy Lasorda, out of the dugout. Nobody liked Tommy Lasorda in San Francisco. He summoned Tommy Lasorda out of the dugout, and he hugged him, and he kind of looked at the audience like, you know, forget all y'all. I'm a Dodger now. And they asked him about it after the game. And he said this, that event turned a page in my career. I'm a Dodger now. I'm not a giant. That was just kind of solidifying it. I wanted them to know I'm a Dodger now. We need to stake a claim that we are followers of Christ. We can do it lots of different ways. You can put a little Jesus fish on your car, but if you do that, try not to cut anybody off, and please don't flip anybody off. That really is kind of not what you want to do. You can post something on Facebook, but you remember Jesus said, speak the truth in love, and so you've got to have both equal parts. You've got to speak the truth, it's okay, but you've got to speak in love, and that might not be for you. You might want to post a sign up in your business, but if you do that, treat people fairly and honestly. My dad was a character, and one time there was a guy, and he had a, a Jesus saying on his wall, and, and dad felt like he cheated him, and daddy said, you need to take that sign down. Uh, so you can't just... You can't just say it you also have to do it one of the most common ways of hugging jesus if you will just like 
Brett Butler hugged Tommy Lasorda, one of the most common ways is through baptism. That's a public going, uh, it's a publicly, uh, it's going public with your faith. That's a way of saying, I don't care who watches, I want everybody to know I'm a follower of Jesus now. It's one of the great ways to do it. If you've never done it before, we're going to have a, a baptism service coming up in April. And so you might want to sign up for that. I'll talk about it in just a little bit. See, what happens is sometimes people, especially when they're older, I've been a Christian since I was seven, but sometimes when people uh, convert to Christianity in a later age, they kind of unconvert. Bob Dylan was a singer, is a singer, and um, Bob Dylan converted to Christianity and then kind of unconverted. And sometimes that happens, and people will be a little skeptical. And so there's a... There's a a need in our lives to sort of say, I'm, I'm turning the page. Like Bet, Brett Butler did, he turned the page. He said, I'm no longer a giant, now I'm a Dodger. And for us, we can say, now we're, we belong to this family. It's like the guy, if we're not careful, we just don't claim it. It's like the guy who gets married, but he still flirts. It's kind of not cool to do that. And Jesus said this, he said, whoever publicly acknowledges me, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever publicly disowns me, I will disown before my Father in heaven. I was thinking about that this morning. I was getting ready for church. I thought about Simon Peter because Simon Peter disowned Jesus, you'll recall. It was the night Jesus betrayed and Peter is all cocky and he says, Lord, if everybody else falls away, I won't fall away. I don't care about these chumps, but I'm going to be with you. And I, these guys are losers, but not me. And Jesus says to him, to his face, before the night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, I don't think so. And then Peter denies him three times. Before the night is over, he does exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. Now, what's really interesting about this story, if Peter had only heard this, then Peter would think, well, I'm out. I mean, this says I'm going to be disowned because I disowned Jesus. I did it publicly. I did it very publicly. It's recorded for history's sake. People know I disowned Jesus. But that wasn't the end of the story. Really interesting. You should look at this sometime. Jesus is resurrected. He sees some women that are his followers, and he says, go tell the disciples, and Peter, <laughs> which is really interesting language. It's like Jesus knew Peter probably didn't feel like a disciple anymore. He said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I want to chat with them, go to Galilee. So Jesus does encounter Peter again. It's on the shore, on the Sea of Galilee, the shore there. They have a breakfast together. Jesus privately has a conversation with Simon Peter. And three times, Peter denied him three times. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Peter affirms his love and his affection for Jesus three times. It's almost like you denied three, you get the chance to restore the relationship three times. And then we see the life of Peter. If this was the end, then Peter would have never been restored, but Jesus restored him. And then Peter had a great ministry after that, really one of the greatest ministries. Peter was willing to be beaten for Jesus. He was willing to die for Jesus. In fact, history tells us that Peter refused to be crucified like Jesus was on a cross like this. And so he requested that when he was crucified that they turn the cross upside down. He was crucified upside down. We make mistakes in life. They're not final. We sin in life. 
That's not final either. And so when I say, hey, we claim him, we're living in an ever a society that's ever becoming more and more secular. It's going to be harder and harder to claim Jesus as yours. And, and perhaps it's going to be more difficult in the future for you. Understand something. Jesus is worth claiming. Our Heavenly Father is worth it. Jesus put it this way. He said to His disciples, Whoever wants me to, my, to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Fear is a powerful motivator. We have the fear of missing out, the fear of perhaps rejection. I heard about a guy, he was delayed at the airport. His flight was delayed, and so he didn't have anything to do. If you've ever been um, in a delayed situation, then you know there's not a lot to do in an airport. So he was walking around, and he happened to notice there was a flight insurance machine, and he kind of read the details. And basically, it's, uh, it's an insurance policy that if your plane goes down and you don't survive, then your family gets quite a benefit. It's really cheap. And it's quite a benefit. You get a lot of uh, a re- return on that little investment. Now, the reason the insurance companies do that is because it's very, very unlikely that anything's going to happen to your airplane. But if it does, then the people that have bought that uh, have this insurance policy. So he thought about it for a minute and he said, well, this makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think I'm going to do that. So he bought an insurance policy and then he went to have lunch. He had lunch at the Chinese restaurant, and he got a fortune cookie, and the fortune cookie said, your recent investment will pay high dividends. Uh, now, he had a lot of fear in his life. We, we can be fearful in life. It, it just happens. Sometimes we get afraid of things. But understand something. There are people who criticize Christianity. There have been and there will be. You find it in Scripture, you find it after Scripture, you find it currently. There was a guy named Ted Turner who uh, was the fellow who, uh, uh, TNT and all those kind of things. Uh, um, when he was younger, he said that Christianity was for the weak. That was the expression he used. Karl Marx one time said that Christianity is the opiate of the people. I'm weak. <laughs> I'm broken. I'm lost. If Christianity is for the weak, then I need Christianity. I needed Christ because I can't save myself. If that's the definition of weakness, and for me that is, then I needed Jesus. Is it an opiate? An opiate is something that kind of salves your pain. Well, here's what I know about Jesus. He calms my nerves and he comforts my heart and he does give me peace. In fact, he promised it. There are people who talk down about Christianity Understand that. That's okay. You be proud of who you are because our Heavenly Father is worth being proud of. In Romans 1.16 it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm just not. So we make our Heavenly Father proud when we claim Him. We make our Heavenly Father proud when we respect and we trust Him. Look at this text. The Lord is pleased with those who respect Him and with those who trust Him. The Bible gives us direction. Hey, these are the things I want you to do, God says. This is the stuff I want you to do. And sometimes we hear differing opinions and that kind of thing, but we have to understand God gives us instruction for a couple of reasons. It's to protect us, 
It's to provide for us. He wants to protect us from harm. He wants to provide a, a full and meaningful life. And so when God says it, we need to do it whether we understand it or not. In Proverbs it says, trust the Lord with all your hearts. And you'll talk to people and they'll say, you know, the problem with trusting God with all my heart is I might get hurt. And that's it's true in some instances, not when you trust God. But you ask somebody that's been divorced, hey, did you trust your spouse with all your heart? And they'll say yes, and it didn't work out for me. You ask somebody that was in a business venture with a, with a partner who um, embezzled the funds or ran off with some of the money and, and they uh, trusted and it didn't work out. You ask some parent with a child that they trusted and that child did things perhaps they didn't want them to do. Truth of the matter is, people will let you down. It just happens. I've let people down and I've had people let me down. But God doesn't let us down. It doesn't say trust in people with all your heart. It says trust in the Lord with all your heart. And sometimes God tells us difficult things to do. Understanding can wait because obedience has to be done now. Look, I have four daughters. They were younger, much younger at one time, obviously. And so we would tell them things to do. And I don't know if your kids are like this, but my kids didn't always want to do what I asked them to do. Anybody else? Is that just me? Uh, it could just be pastor's kids. I know they have a bad reputation. Anyway, I would tell them to do things. And sometimes I would just say, all right, every parent's going to know the answer. They'll say, why do I need to do that? And every parent's answer is because I said so. Because I've got more knowledge I've got a vast, uh, a, a vaster, is that a word? A more vast experience. I've lived longer. I know more. I need you to do this. When my girls would cross the street, I would say, you got to look both ways. You got to make sure cars aren't coming. I didn't care if they agreed or understood that command. Didn't matter to me if they agreed with it or understood it. I told them that because it was best for them to do that. And God tells us what's best for us. See, when I obey, that unlocks understanding. Eventually I go, oh, that makes sense to me. When I was a kid, my daddy would say, son, you need to wear a t-shirt. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're so old. And I thought, what a dumb thing, dad, you know, to wear a t-shirt. Uh, you'll notice. Because uh, when you're standing in the wind, you want to know what you want to do. you got to layer. And my daddy worked outside all of his life. He was a farmer and a truck driver. And he knew what it was like to be in the elements. And that's why he told me that. He had more knowledge and he had more experience. And I eventually understood it. God has more knowledge and experience. And as it relates to God, obedience is an act of worship. When God tells us to do things, we should do them. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. It is an act of love and respect. Why do you like it as a parent when your kids are obedient? It's because it is a, it's an expression of their respect and love for you. It, it really is. They're saying, I trust that you know what you're talking about. And when God tells us to do things, and when we read things, instead of trying to figure out how that doesn't apply to me, why don't we just do what He says to do? Because obedience will eventually lead to understanding. So, we can put a smile on God's face by 
by being obedient, by doing what he says uh, for, for us to do, by claiming him, by saying, hey, I'm, I'm part of this family. A third way is to serve willingly. Look what it says in this text. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. Serving is a sign of maturity. We love it when our girls come home. I've got three that live away. One lives in Michigan, one lives in Ohio, one lives in Tennessee. And at Christmas they come in and other times they'll come in. And what we love about when our girls are around is when they ask, hey, can we help clean the dishes? Or can we help pick up the table? Or can we help straighten some things out? Um, you, you know, uh, when they were here this last time, we were working on a house project and I had a couple of my kids say, hey, can we help you with that project? We love that kind of thing. It makes, a, it makes us proud because it's like, okay, they're offering to help without being asked. It is a sign of maturity. And what happens in our lives, if we're not careful, is we begin to live just for ourselves. And, and, and that's just not the best way to live. My dad, um, I, I loved my dad, man. He was awesome. And my dad and I worked together at a muffler shop for five years. He, he retired from truck driving, and then he thought it was something he could do would be start a muffler shop. And so he and I did a muffler shop together. And Dad had a lot of these little axioms of how to live life. And one of, them, one of the first things he told me when we got to the shop was, don't make me tell you everything that needs to be done. You look to see what happens to be needed, and you do that. And I think if God were here, he would say, hey, look and see what needs to be done in this world. What needs to be done at your church? What needs to be done at your home? What needs to be done? Find that and do that. Because there, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, God wants us to have a, a willing, serving heart. I had a buddy on Facebook, he posted this post. He said, last night my 15-year-old son did his own laundry, cleaned his own room, cleaned his own bathroom, all without being asked. And then he asked the question, so should I ask what he wants to do or what he's already done? Uh, it is uncommon for us to look for things to do um, without being asked. But the Bible tells us above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And part of that is we learn to serve, because learning, uh, loving and serving, they go together. I, I read an article the other day about a guy who posted on Facebook this question, what makes it difficult to serve other people? I want to read a couple of the answers to you. One person wrote, serving is hard when it doesn't fit into my schedule or plan. Like when I want to go for a walk or take a long bath, but my aging parents need me to sort their meds, run an errand, or simply be with them. Somebody else wrote, it's hard when, they need, when their needs seem endless. I don't want to risk helping or serving because I may get sucked in and never be able to get out. The third person said, There is such limited energy left after a demanding workday meeting our basic responsibilities at home and with our kids. How do you balance the need for rest and self-care serving others? My favorite one was, what makes it difficult to serve other people, they say? Other people, uh, which is true. Some people are really hard to serve. And sometimes you just have to do what this meme says. Sometimes you have to close your eyes, count to ten, take a deep breath, and remind yourself you wouldn't look good in prison orange. Uh, it's really true. Sometimes it's really difficult to serve people. Now, we'll say things like, I don't have time. How many of us have given... I don't, this is a rhetorical, don't answer. How many of us have said... 
I just don't have time. Okay, well, <laughs> truth of the matter is, we waste a lot of time every day. There, there's a guy by the name of Philip Zimbardo, and he did some research on young men, and he discovered that the average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games by the time they're 21. I want you to think about that just for a second. Experts tell us that you can master just about anything in 10,000 hours. You want to be good at playing the violin? You want to know how long that takes? About 10,000 hours. You want to learn to speak Spanish? You want to know how, that, how long that takes? About 10,000 hours. You want to do anything? You want to be proficient at anything? Then it takes about 10,000 hours. We waste a ton of time. You're saying, well, that's just young people. Okay, let me give you these stats. Research is showing that the average person spends 37 minutes a day on Facebook, 27 minutes a day on social media, 40 minutes a day on YouTube, 4 hours a day watching TV. That wasn't even during March Madness. I am killing that right now. Uh, 96 minutes a day surfing non-work-related websites. That would mean that while you're at work, you're looking at something that's not work-related. And 171 minutes a day looking at their phones. There are a lot of people saying they don't have much time. And maybe you are overwhelmed. And none of this applies to you. <laughs> but honestly, we have more time than we think. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, Offer hospitality to one another, and then the, the key phrase is, without grumbling, without grumbling. There was a pastor, and he was having an elders meeting, and he wanted to kind of get deep with him. He said, okay, so if you had one week to live, what would you do with your life? One person answered, well, if I had one week to live, I would go to all my neighbors, and I would witness to them, and I would hope some of them would come to Jesus. Another one said, well, if I had one week to live, what I would do is I would take all my money out of the bank, and I would throw this huge party for my family and friends, rent a hall and that kind of thing. Third guy said, well, if I had one week to live, I would go live with my mother-in-law. And the guy said, the pastor said, well, why would you do that? He said, that would ensure that's the longest week of my life. Some people are hard to help. But here's a truth that if you'll internalize it, it will change your life. When I serve others, I serve God. Jesus said, if you offer a cup of cold water in my name, it is as if you're doing it for me. I, I don't know if I've told you all this story or not, but when we have uh, people come and deliver packages at FedEx or, or um, uh, UPS or whoever comes to our house to deliver a package, if we're home, I'll say, hey, do you, you want a you drink? Would you like you want a cup of coffee or uh, I have water? Usually they don't want coffee or water, but I'll say I have Gatorade. Like, oh, yeah, I like it. they all like Gatorade. And then I, 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 we have at my house LaCroix. Does anybody know what that is? That's fizzy water that doesn't taste, it tastes horrible. It's horrible fizzy water that has some modicum of taste to it, uh, but it ain't sweet, so therefore it ain't for me. Anyway, we have LaCroix because Elise likes LaCroix. And um, so this guy came up and I said, hey, man, you want, you want something to drink? Oh, not really. I have water. I have Gatorade. Oh, I have LaCroix. <gasps> LaCroix? <laughs> like, is, are you French, dude? I, it's like, uh, nobody's ever offered me a LaCroix. Like, well, today's your lucky day, buddy. Um, when, we, when we do things for people, look, look at what it says. Look, look. We're God's workmanship in Christ Jesus to do what? What are the two words? To do what? Good works. 
You, you look for opportunities to do good works. They're everywhere. They're all around. You can find them if you look for them. Like my daddy said, don't make me tell you everything that needs to be done. I think if God were here today, he would say, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. You find it and you do it. It doesn't have to be in the church. It could be out in the world. It could be at your home. It doesn't matter. Find something that needs to be done. You were created for that. That's, that's why you're here. I want to end with a little story. This is an artist's rendering of the Pioneer 10 spacecraft. Pioneer 10 was launched in 1973, before some of you were even born. It was the ambition of the Pioneer 10 was to go to Jupiter. Nothing had ever gone that far out into space before. And to beam back, the information they wanted was about the planet's moons, uh, to beam data back to the Earth about its magnetic field, its radiation belts, and its atmosphere. And so, in a year's time, the Pioneer 10 actually reached Jupiter. Now, they were a little bit afraid that there was going to be like space junk and asteroids and things would knock it off its course or d demolish it, but it made it to Jupiter. And then the gravitational pull, it, it pushed it further into space faster than it had arrived. Really kind of interesting. So, at one billion miles away from the sun, Jupiter, uh, uh, Pioneer 10 reached um, Saturn at Two billion miles from the sun, it was still transmitting by the way, uh, it reached Uranus. At three billion miles from the sun, it reached Neptune. At four billion miles, it reached Pluto. It told Pluto, you're no longer a planet. Uh, 25 years into this project, it was six billion miles from the sun. It's really amazing. The most amazing thing is the transmission back to the earth was with a 9-volt battery. It must have been an Energizer. Uh, and by the way, uh, can we send this to Energizer? Because they, they ought to give me something. Because uh, I am really plugging them today. A 9-volt battery. That's all it had in it. It worked until January the 3rd, 2003. 30 years later. Finally stopped transmitting. It did more than it was scheduled or thought possible. The truth of the matter is, so can you. If we'll just submit to God, if we'll do these things, if we'll claim Him, if we'll um, do the things He called us to do, obey Him, if we'll do these things, we'll work find opportunities, just do a few little things. We can end up being and accomplishing far more than we ever thought possible. I want to end with this verse because it's such a cool verse. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who are wise. He's looking for any who want to please Him. So the question is, is that you? Now, again, I haven't been exhaustive in the things that you do to please Him, but the things that we've talked about, they're pretty simple. You claim Him, you obey Him, you find something to do. We, all can, we can all do that. We can all claim Him, we can all obey Him, we can all find something to do. 
Obedience to God is possible, and obedience to God makes Him happy. Why would we not want to do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today and how amazing it is that You choose to use us. And I'm thankful that we can put a smile on Your face because that's really cool. I pray, Lord, that You would guide us this week to claim to obey, and then to to serve. Help us to do those things today, this week, in our lives, every day. In Jesus' name we pray.